everybody. Welcome to the SheWorth podcast. We have a fun episode up ahead today with just myself, Kim Mueller, who's co-founder of SheWorth, and my lovely, awesome, brilliant co-founder, Lara Smith today. Lara, how are you? Hi, Kim. I love our shared podcast so much, and this is a really important topic that people are asking us for, so it's good to be able to talk about it. I know, I know. I love our joint podcast too. And the the topic of the day is around ocean, which is um, a measure of our personality and how it pertains to our romantic relationships. Um, as we've discussed so much about she-worth and, and self-worth is around how we feel and how we show up in our personal relationships. And so we want to kind of put all of that together in this episode and have a very um, evidence-based way to look at who we are and who our our partners are in our relationships via ocean and how by understanding that it gives us so much clarity um, in whether or not it is a relationship that is sustainable and what little tweaks we might need to do in understanding ourselves through this lens as well as our partners. So let's get started. Um, I guess, do you have anything to kind of start out with how ocean has impacted you in your own romantic relationships and then once we do that we'll kind of go into it each trait specifically and explore that but is there anything that comes to mind just when you've thought about your own personal experience with ocean what I keep coming back to is I wish we had the ability to do ocean with a potential mate that we're dating before you get serious kind of like STD test (laughs) and ocean because once you're in a relationship and it's not working is when you look for tools to try and help and you go deep inside therapy, whatever. And so when you're doing ocean, it is so predictive, but it was done in hindsight for me. And it just made so much sense. It's like, Oh, these are my traits. These are my husband's traits. We didn't have a chance in hell because it was just so difficult based on our personalities. And that information is so powerful, but had we been slightly closer together, the tools would have helped us. And we might have survived, right? But mm. just knowing you just can't change these traits about yourself. It was really, it is a powerful tool that I live by my life by every day in all aspects, but especially in relationships, it's so valuable. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's so true. Like we always joke, it should be like, I don't know, second, third date material <laughs> because mm-hmm. because as you alluded to, it is everything is on a spectrum. And you kind of said we were so far apart. And like you said, um, it really depends where we fall on the spectrum. And, and if we can accept that we fall differently, then it's doable. But if they're so far, especially on certain ones, which we'll get into, like perhaps conscientiousness, um, it will be very, very hard with all the tools, all the therapy, all the magic in the world to make it work. Right. And so I think that's, that's such a beautiful thing. And I was even thinking about, um, in my own practice as, as a psychologist, um, I, I don't really do couples therapy, but sometimes I will see a couple because, um, I've seen one of the individuals and it kind of becomes very obvious that this is an issue that needs to be discussed, um, between everybody. And I often lead with ocean because it's just, it's such a good opener and it's such a clear way to understand one another and shine a light on why the differences might be occurring. So if anybody hasn't already taken it for themselves, you can do it on our website, but also if your partners haven't taken it or somebody you're dating, um, it might be, or maybe somebody that you've left, even just to see them through this lens, it will help you gain greater 
understanding about why maybe it didn't work, um, we would encourage you to, um, to take the ocean quiz on, on shework.org. So, so let's get into this fun tool. Um, so the first, so ocean is just really quick um, overview. Um, we talked about it in more detail in episode four of the podcast. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, today, we really want to dive into romantic relationships specifically and how this is showing up. Um, but there openness and conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. That's what the OCEAN acronym stands for. And it's a measure of the big five um, personality traits um, that we look at uh, across the world, across cultures. And we understand if we can understand where an individual falls on these traits, we have a very good understanding of who they are. So openness is the first one. So openness is how open-minded, how creative, how um, kind of, oh yeah, things are going to work out and just kind of very um, open to new experiences, open to the newest supplement, open to the newest spirituality practice versus less open as somebody who's more rigid, likes predictability, um, likes to have the neat, tidy yard in the suburbs, you know, doesn't really want to ever step outside of their comfort zone. That's a less open individual. Um, so as you can imagine, um, this isn't a trait I wouldn't say that would be a deal breaker if you're significantly different. If you could accept and love and value the person for being a more artsy, creative minded one, and you're the more, you know, predictable, I like routine, I think it could work. Um, so I don't see this one showing up a lot in terms of causing problems in the marriage, perhaps as it pertains to um, money, because a more open minded person might be like, oh, it's fine. Let's just, you know, let's just give them the money. If they pay us back, they pay us back, whatever. Or let's, let's spend the money on, you know, this new whatever, because I think I'm going to end up using it. And then I never do a year later. Right. And maybe a less open person would be more conservative and say, you know, no, this isn't a good idea. So that's where I see openness maybe causing problems. But what do you think, Lara? When you think I was, openness? as you're talking through, I was wondering if there's some benefit I can't imagine, especially in the financial picture, which causes couples some grief, having two open-minded people versus just having that checkpoint and balance. And then it comes back to awareness. If you know your partner is very open and they're getting involved in the next multi-level marketing scheme, because that's going to be so exciting for them. It's like, Hey, honey, just remember you're a bit more excitable than I am. And it's just a way to come together and do some kind of risk analysis based on referring to each other's personality tendencies. Is that something that you would counsel couples to make each other aware of in their personality, like to talk it through based on their traits? Yeah, I think that's such a great um, conclusion to draw from that. I, and I, I was just thinking of some personal examples, not my, not my own marriage, but some other um, friends and family where this would definitely be a good tool to talk through because there is a difference in their spending habits and just be like, yeah, I think it just, it, it neutralizes it. It just sort of said, it's not like you're bad or you're good or you're tight or you're not tight with money. It's just, this is your, this is my personality. I'm going to be a bit more free with it. And this is yours. You're going to be a bit more free, frugal, but I like how you um, framed it, which is, it's actually a positive, right? If there's one of each, but again, like you said, if you have two of more open, that's going to be even, you're going to need even more awareness because that might be lead, leading to trouble. So yeah, I love that just talking about it in that way through their traits versus, you know, attacking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Um, so the next one is conscientiousness. And this is one where I, I see um, uh, more trouble uh, being caused in relationships when there is a big discrepancy. So conscientiousness just stands for how goal-oriented are you? How motivated are you? Um, do you want to get up and seize the day and accomplish 20 different things? That's high conscientious. And you actually enjoy that. A low conscientious is like, I'm a bit of procrastinator. I just work so I can pay the bills, you know, like I just want to, you know, I, I, um, I'm not as goal oriented or driven perhaps as somebody who's more high in conscientiousness. We always talk about this trait as the number one trait that we look for when hiring somebody, but also it is the most predictive trait in terms of long-term, um, marital success. So quality marriages in terms of longevity, happiness, all of those factors, um, higher conscientiousness individuals tend to do better in that domain. Um, so what do you think of when conscientiousness comes up? <laughs> oh, goodness, this is a really important one, because I have had relationships before I understood or knew anything what ocean was, and how I govern my life on how I approach my career and tasks at home. There's no time for sitting around. Why would someone want to sit around? You just go out and do projects and go to the library, read six books on the weekend. And you just, you just go, I didn't understand people who weren't like that, which was not great because it puts a lot of pressure, but relationships where they weren't as conscientious, I felt resentment and that built because they didn't contribute to the family just general work ethic and how we approach chores, never mind how we contributed financially to the overall family picture. But I definitely built resentment on that front. And had I known about this, I wouldn't be so judgmental on somebody who wasn't like me. Yeah, it's just who they are. And you have to respect exactly them. You're not changing them. And that's something that I've learned wisdom with age and through this, through this tool, but you're not going to change some. So if you can accept their laid back, um, approach to life, which in some ways helped me relax because I wasn't capable of relaxing and have fun. And when I actually at times would embrace my partners, just like chill out, Lara, would you just stop and just take a breath and let's go for a walk or just like sit in the backyard. I didn't even know how to do those things. So that, that again, that balance wasn't a horrible thing. Like two people like me, we would have killed each other. We would have, it would be disastrous. So I think a little bit of balance on that front could be helpful in some mm -hmm. couples, if you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. like if you have that awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that the resentment piece is such an important one. And I think by understanding that this is how they are and accepting that it, it loosens that. Cause I think if we do send, tend to score higher in context, it's just, we might be a little bit judgmental, right. In terms of not understanding others, but this tool kind of neutralizes that judgment in some way. And it forces us just, I'm just saying us, cause I know we both score higher on conscientiousness, but it forces us to, um, be less judgmental in that way and try to see the value like you're sharing um, in that in that personality uh, makeup that we're with. But it's going to take a lot of understanding, not only on us, the conscientious side, but also the person who might score lower in conscientiousness. Like they also need to put in effort, you know, to understand where they may fall and admit it and be like, yeah, I can see where that might cause you some frustration, right? It's not Again, this is, I think, part of the agreeableness part of, 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 of Ocean of like, 
we're always trying to see it from someone. Okay. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to try to understand somebody else, but it goes both ways, right. For them to acknowledge and honor that there is a difference there and what can they do and what can I do to kind of mitigate those differences. But um, yeah. And I think, cause like in my relationship with my husband, we're both high in conscientiousness. So it's never been, um, it's never been something that I've struggled with, but I see it in other relationships and how when there's a big differential there, um, it can cause struggle. And um, it doesn't mean you have to leave the relationship just because there is a difference, but it's going to take a lot of dialoguing, I think, and mutual understanding um, to kind of bridge that gap. You can know? we talk about the effects if you're in a toxic relationship where you fall in conscientiousness? Because I've been open about my marriage which was abusive with a narcissist and because I again I didn't know about my traits going into the marriage or in the marriage but I being so highly conscientious I somehow in my little mind felt like my work on the marriage and I could somehow help him and change him and failure in the marriage wasn't an option we said vows we were going to figure this out and I was going to work so hard to make it great. And obviously, as we know, it fails. But how does this impact people in toxic relationships? Oh, that is such a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because I just had a flood of like, over the years, 25 different clients of mine of just women who I'm sure score high on conscientiousness. Um, And I say women just because that's primarily my practice. But um, who are like you and it's like, I'm going to make this work. We can't fail. Like there must be something that we can do to fix this. Cause that's the goal oriented solution focused conscientious individual. Right. And so I think it's so good to bring that up and realize that that trait may blind us right to the reality of, of what's going on in front of us and that it's not, and to reframe it, it's not a failure. If we have to walk away from something like that, it's actually, it's discernment, you know, but how do we see that it's kind of going against our nature. If we talk about these as traits to not try to make that work and fight for it, what would, what advice would you give to someone who might relate to that personality makeup who may be in a toxic relationship? I mean, I don't even know how to counsel somebody based on my own personal experience, if they don't have the awareness of their own personality and how that actually can trip them up. I think the awareness that you fundamentally can't change somebody. You can, we can talk about boundaries and self-worth and do all the work inside of the she-worth programming that we're putting out. You can't change someone else. You can only change how you react inside that relationship. And at a certain point, you either decide you're going to accept exactly who they are and can you live with that or you have to get out of it for your own mental health. There is no option because they are not changing. Mm-hmm. But how would somebody know that if they don't have the, have the benefit of ocean? Yeah, I think that's so true. And it's sort of like a... <laughs> It's sort of like, I know you don't want to hear this, but it's the truth statement in the sense that you're not going to change people. I think that's one of the greatest things we've understood with Ocean, right? In terms of all the personality research and monozygotic twin studies and going like, no, these are traits. Like these are very default wiring who people are with awareness. We can do strategies, you know, like say with neuroticism, we could try to be more emotionally stable, pause before reacting, do mindfulness training, all of that. But fundamentally, this is going to be our default. So I think that that's hard to hear for people, but I think it's, 
it's it's learned through wisdom and experience and and the science really of ocean and it's like you aren't fundamentally going to change them you know and like you said can you accept that right right so yeah i think that's i think that's good to bring up and how conscientiousness may put the blinders on you a little bit that you don't want to fail. I'm just going to persist mm-hmm. even though this relationship and this, or this person I'm in relationship to is, is not a good person for me, you know? Right. So that's conscientious. Go ahead. Well, you'll, I'm sure you'll get into this, but by the end, it would be good to understand a little bit as we're going, how the different traits interact, because if you've got, I know you've, you've educated me on kind of openness plus high conscientious plus high agreeable there's some red flags there inside of romantic relationships, right? So maybe once we get to agreeable, we can just chat through that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. Looking at the combination, it just, if we could go forever on this. Right? <laughs> um, so the next one is extroversion. Um, that one's pretty self-explanatory. And I don't know, what do you think about if there's a differential um, uh, between the two partners in a relationship, extroverted, introverted, do they need to be the same? Like, what's your impression on that or your observation? It caught as, as somebody who's very introverted, it does cause problems. If you can't respect that in your partner, if you don't have similar approaches to how socializing and going to big parties and it's down to negotiation and compromise and just having those conversations as the holidays approach, like, listen, honey, you know, me, I'm good for three parties. If you ask me for 10 life falls apart, but just and they and then just accepting that about each other and not defaulting to kind of nostalgic family scenarios. It's okay to miss your best friend's party if your husband doesn't want to go. Like just let him be home watching the hockey game. Why even force someone to do something they don't want to? So it's awareness, it's conversation, it's negotiation. But I, I don't think that's the deal breaker, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of relationships. Mm-mm. I would agree. I haven't seen that either. And and personally, I think you just nailed it in terms of acceptance, negotiation, um, and that kind of thing. It's just, we can't, I think sometimes we maybe think, oh, if you were more like me, it would be better or it'd be easier. And it's like, no, they are who they are, like live and let live, you know? Um, it doesn't mean one way is is the right way. It's, it's our wiring, right? Like we're just not as lit up, for example, in a social situation as somebody else may be. So yeah, I think it just takes ongoing with mutual respect, right? In regards to the difference on this trait. Um, so the next one is agreeableness, um, which is one of our favorite. And this one is just how agreeable are you? How often do you put other people's needs in front of your own? Do you value others' opinions more than your own? Do, are you conflict averse? Are you a bit of a people pleaser? That would be more agreeable. A more disagreeable is someone who likes conflict or at least doesn't shy away from it um, and who um, puts their needs first and isn't isn't afraid to do that Um, and this one there's you know the more in my practice I learn about this trait like I think it is there's there's still some social conditioning around this trait I've seen in in families of origin in terms of if they've had a, a parent who's been a narcissist or has been domineering like they've been trained to just okay, I want, I don't want, I want to upset mom. I want everybody to get along. I'm going to, you know, I want to please everybody. But then there's also, but, but what we look at, like that can happen when we're younger and we're more controllable, but over the years, we're going to default back to what we actually are in terms of our wearing. So the, if somebody is very agreeable because they had to be, because they wanted to keep the peace at home, um, 
if they're actually fundamentally more disagreeable, when they remove themselves from that environment, they're going to go to deep to disagreeable. But if they're agreeable and they were conditioned that way, they're going to stay in agreeable. So I just bring that up because it's important, I think, on this trade to also look at how our upbringing has affected our agreeableness. Um, but this is a big one in relationships as well. I would say conscientiousness agreeableness and neuroticism can probably cause the most problems in, in marriages or romantic relationships. Um, in fact, if you look at um, uh, somebody who is a bit on the narcissistic perspective um, spectrum, they tend to score very high and disagreeable, right? They want their way. They're going to put themselves first. They're self-centered. They have a sense of entitlement. Um, they have a disregard of others. I mean, that does not speak agreeableness at all. <laughs> you know? right, so, right. so it doesn't mean you're a narcissist if you're disagreeable like I'm not trying to paint that picture but just be aware that these are some of the traits that would be found in that in that type of individual um and so obviously if you have two agreeables in a marriage um or a romantic relationship it's pretty easy peasy right like everything mm -hmm. is just yeah whatever everybody easy to get along they don't they have a hard time making decisions actually because they're so agreeable they're just whatever, which is fine. It works for them. When you've got an agreeable and a disagreeable, that also works pretty well in relationships um, because the agreeable is just going to go along with the disagreeable, right? Um, within reason, you know, you use the word resentment earlier and there could be that piece for the agreeable over time if that disagreeable is too domineering. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's if it's a generally mutually respectful relationship and there's just that difference, I think it can work. Um, when you've got two disagreeables in a relationship, um, that can be a challenge because there's going to be a lot of conflict. And so that partnership needs to get very good at navigating conflict. Um, it's not undoable. It's just that they have strong opinions, right? And they want to be heard and they want to be respected. I would say that in my own relationship, we probably are both more disagreeable together. And so we've just really had to... And it's almost like it's been a fun experience of trying to witness our interaction and how do we navigate it? How do we get better at this? Because this is inevitable, right? But how can we work through these things in a mutually respectful way, um, knowing and acknowledging that we are both more disagreeable when it comes to our relationship? And um, I think there was probably a, a rough patch in that before we had that awareness or maybe even before we knew Ocean. Um, but now that we do, we have the vernacular, we have the tools and it's manageable. But there has to be a willingness, right? And an actual... I'm getting excited right now about us getting better at that. Like there has to be that mm -hmm. aspect too. It's not just, I'm going to dig my heels in the sand and not think that this is important. Right. Um, so what comes to mind for you about agreeableness? Yeah. So this was eye opening for me because I wouldn't have thought in my, my life experience that I was as high as I am in agreeableness because through my career and having big jobs, I have been able to make the tough decisions and I, can be tough as required, but there's not the emotion in it. And I'm very kind of data-based, numbers-driven at work. So I let kind of the data speak. I have no problem getting into conflict with peers at work over the course of time. But so in my personal relationship, in particular romantic, I would do everything to avoid conflict, which meant I wasn't dealing with things. So had I been less agreeable, I could say, hey, listen, this is going to be a tough conversation. We have to get it out on the table. There's going to be discomfort today, the weeks ahead. But I was never able to do that until I learned about 
ocean and how high I scored. So I didn't have the benefit of that in my marriage, but that was, you know, that, that there was no hope in that marriage. The only saving grace had I been less agreeable, I might've told him to go pound salt the first time he yelled at me. I just did everything to diffuse the situation. I was like an air traffic controller trying to avoid plane crashes every day of my life. And it became a coping mechanism just to avoid conflict. So, you know, in a more balanced relationship, I know I'm high agreeable. I've learned to find ways to kind of train myself and, and, um, convince myself to have the tough conversations before something goes too far. And I think that's the message for people that are high agreeable. When you know this about yourself, mm-hmm. you can't not address things. You can't build resentment. You can't think something's going to go away. A big kind of finan- um, foundational values-based issue. If you don't talk about these things inside of a romantic relationship, the snowball becomes a massive, massive ball rolling down the hill that just builds and builds and then it destroys things so it's for me a daily thing inside of a romantic relationship or family relationships I can't be a conflictophobe because that actually doesn't do anyone any favors Mm, I love that word I've never heard that that's good conflictophobe (laughs) I love that yeah true isn't it and I, I love how you just were practical and I think that's where you know, our brave moment pillar really derived from was having that, like, it would be a brave moment for an agreeable to have to say, hey, that's not okay with me, or to say no, or to, like you said, avoid the snowball from building too big and actually address it when it feels a little bit small. That's when you're ignoring it, right? When it's just like, oh, I'm going to let that thing go. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to justify that, or I want to, I'd, I'd rather just keep the peace and avoid it, but that's just the, the snowball is growing and growing. And so that's where we bring in a, the concept of the brave moment and learn how to stand up for ourselves and do it in a way that doesn't have to be highly conflictual, but it's also not compromising your own, you know, sense of self or ultimately your self-worth. So, yeah, I think that's so good. And it is interesting to me that you differentiate how you were able to handle it at work when there was not there wasn't an emotion or it was just it was numbers driven this is work you were able to be a bit more disagreeable perhaps in that in those circumstances but in the relationship arena it was a little bit harder for you what that told me is I was able to adjust my personality to some degree because there was no choice I couldn't have had the big jobs and you know work inside of an executive committee that of a billion dollar company that there was heated conversations having to fire people could was crippling early in my career but you just have to it's it's business there's less emotion but I did learn to overcompensate somehow through business on managing my high agreeableness so so learning that knowing about ocean it, I know it's helped me my in my personal relationships mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and actually I was just thinking this right now too and about how we know when we're in a healthy partnership when our partner allows us to be disagreeable mm-hmm. right like I think that's a sign that they're going to, they're building up our self-worth rather than depleting it. You know, it's, it's, I think we don't do, we're not disagreeable in relationships because at some level they're unhealthy, right? If we have somebody who's respecting us and loving of us, they're not going to, you know, gaslight us or tell us we're the crazy person when we do state our needs. So that's a little bit of a red flag, right? If we don't feel safe in a relationship to be slightly disagreeable. Um, How would you counsel a woman in your practice who by and large 
they've weathered the storm in their marriage. They do have a good marriage, but their husband or partner is slightly more disagreeable, slightly more prone to raise their voice, whatever. How do you counsel the woman to deal with that with a disagreeable partner? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I mean, it's all um, a question of you know where it falls on the spectrum, right? But what you're the paint the picture you're painting is that it's moderate. It's not emotionally abusive. It's it's doable. I think. Um, a, is there a willingness on the side of the partner to shine a light on it and try to work on that themselves? And if not, just working on some strategies for the woman to, you know, best handle when that arises, because it may arise, right? And in some ways, we're talking about neuroticism, which is emotional stability, which is the next one, if someone is more prone to raise their voice or be upset. And you know, if you do have somebody higher on that spectrum, it's not that you enable it, but you have to go, that is going to happen with this individual, but to what degree and to what extent and what strategies do I engage at that time? Or do I walk away and disengage like little things like that for the person to feel a little bit more in control to not maybe personalize it as much Mm -hmm. and to realize that if I give them a cooling off period and then come back, they're going to be much more ready to discuss it. Um, But yeah, I don't think that we should shy away from having that conversation with a partner who is wired in that way. Um, I would say even early on in my own relationship, I was more reactive to things. And my husband grew up in a home where that just never happened and everything was calm. And so that was, we had a big differential there. And he's like, that's not okay. Right. We have Mm -hmm. to find a way to manage that. And, and I, I I did it right. It's, you know, maybe it's, I'm not as calm as, as he is in all circumstances, but it was like, okay, that's a, that's an important issue for him. So there has to be that willingness, but I don't think we should shy away from it if it's causing problems. Great advice in the relationship. So that leads us to neuroticism, which is the end of ocean, um, which basically means emotional stability. I heard this really great description of it the other day. Um, It it means how prone are we to be reactive to stressful life events? So more neurotic is somebody who's very reactive and less neurotic is steady, eddy, calm, everything. But the analogy that Dr. Jen Hawk used um, was who's a she's a political scientist actually, but she's very well-versed in evolutionary psychology. She said, it's a little bit like a boat in an ocean. So there are different sides of the boats in the ocean and the different sides of the boat gets affected by the waves differently. So somebody, a small boat is an emotionally unstable person. They're gonna get rocked really easily by the waves. Whereas a cruise ship is going to be an emotionally stable person. Those waves, they're going to have to be pretty big to rock that person. And so I like that visual of emotional stability. So how do you see emotional stability and what have you learned about it? You know, in my marriage that was abusive, I had to deal with this every day. And I didn't understand someone's capacity to fly off the handle so fast. I mean, you could be calm, enjoying the night, and just the smallest thing would turn to such... Um, aggressive darkness. And it was blowing my mind because my entire life was calm. I can remember my parents in 40 years, you know, maybe one of them raising their voice twice. I just, it wasn't familiar to me. So it was shocking. It was so shocking that I almost thought it was a joke initially. And this was just another challenge for me to overcome and tackle and dragged him to eight different marriage therapists. It's like, somehow we're going to fix this out of them. Um, The strategy that we always kept hearing was, you have got to walk away. When you're dealing with somebody that is so high in N, 
instantly triggered, flies off the handle. It's like the peak of a avalanche. Once the snow breaks, you're not going to talk them down. Like you're not going to stop the snow from going down the mountain. You just get to safety. Mm-hmm. And it was a very extreme example, I understand. But, you know, it's you cannot, back to our self-worth and, you know, all the work that we're doing inside of SheWord, you have to prioritize your mental state. And if you are, if, if the only thing in your relationship that's causing you grief is N, then it's just about strategies to save your own personal mental health and ensure that you're not, you know, trying to address something when someone's in a heated state, because there's, it's impossible. But my stubbornness or conscientiousness, I would, you can't speak to me this way. We're going to figure this out versus just like, you have to leave the room. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I had to deal with inside of that marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is, that is an extreme, you know, example, but it's a relevant one that I know a lot of individuals are, are dealing with right now, but even on a more moderate perspective where it's not, you know, a deal breaker, but, you know, let's say one partner is more prone to just you know, be easily agitated, um, making a bigger deal out of things than they actually are, being stressed, being reactive, that kind of thing. It's the onus is on us if we're wired in that way as well, right? To go, this is not serving my family or, you know, my relationship. Like, what can I do just to get really practical around um, managing that tendency? And, and it's maybe not something that those of us who are a little bit higher and, and want to admit to, but it's like, it's empowering. And it is something that we can train ourselves to mitigate. It's not going to be our first reaction. We're always going to get that initial whoosh of, you know, frustration, but we can practice mindfulness or we can learn to pause or we can take ourselves on a timeout, you know, when we realize that it's starting to build and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, if we recognize it in a partner, I agree with you, Lara, that like the best thing to do is just disengage. You're not going to change them at the top of that avalanche. Absolutely. But you did go back to sort of the combination of the traits. And I don't know if we covered it yet, but when you look at your openness, your conscientiousness, your agreeableness, for example, if we score high on those, that's going to be a recipe for somebody who um, might stay in a relationship longer than it than is necessary because they they mm. they're conscientious. They want to make it work. They're agreeable. They're going to put other they're going to put other people's needs in front of their own. They're open. They believe for the, in the capacity to change, and that if we just do the right thing or the right therapist, that things are going to get better. But yeah, looking at different you know because I even think different traits can mitigate, you know, let's say um, someone's more of a disagreeable, but if they're high in conscientiousness, they're going to also care deeply about doing the right thing, being professional, showing up there. So it's kind of like it's moderating the disagreeableness a little bit versus if they're low conscientious and they're disagreeable, it's like, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to do what I want and total disregard. So the combination of these is very interesting as well. You know, the science helps so much take away either the shame or the failure around relationships when you're too far apart then you have you have choices to make and then you take back the control you understand what you're dealing with inside yourself and your partner you have these valuable tools which is very powerful to say are we going to work on these this is you know how i score how you score what are some strategies and it takes time but you either come together with the knowledge and the power or you decide we are so far apart and it's just 
50% of marriages and, and relationships end in divorce for a reason. So you can't push water uphill if it's just not going to get there. And I think for me, knowing this, I could have saved myself, uh, you know, a couple of years of extreme pain because I would have walked away because I do understand the power of science and knowledge. And there was just, it ended where it was going to end anyway. So why, why force, you know, additional um, heartbreak if it's not necessary? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually think that that's a beautiful way to conclude. It's just like taking this understanding, there are going to be differentials that's inevitable. Are they workable? And are both of us willing to acknowledge them? And can we accept one another for the differences? And um, and if not, then we need to make another decision. So let's hope the next generation of, of, of she-worth women use these on their second date. And so they save, the, save themselves a lot of heartbreak that we had to endure. Right. Can science overwhelm our desire for love oh now that's another topic because that's right oh that's yes let's let's tackle that one next yeah absolutely (laughs) well this was fun and hopefully this was helpful for everyone and um, go take ocean if you haven't done it ask your partner to do it and um let us know what you find have a good day kim that was fun bye-bye How great was this episode? I love hearing Laura and Kim talk about personalities because Kim and Laura both are just so passionate about it. So if you haven't taken the ocean personality test yet, you can find it on www.sheworth.org. And if you can't remember our website, we'll link it in the comments. Trust me, taking this personality test will benefit you in so many ways in your life. Understanding why my partner's personality was so much different than mine, like how he could relax when maybe the kitchen was messy and why I couldn't sit down when it was like that. Avoided so many fights because we just differ in conscientiousness so much that way. But understanding that has definitely benefited our relationship and I truly believe it can help yours too. So we just want to thank you quickly for listening to this episode and we hope you tune in again next week. If you liked our podcast, please like us, subscribe, leave us a review, download a few episodes. It means the world. Uh, We hope you have an amazing day and that you remember to tell yourself that you are worthy.